Good morning, everyone. Let me turn myself on here. How about this? All right. Well, praise the Lord for an amplification system. I need it. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 34, and we'll pick up where we left last time, maybe a few verses later. I appreciated the devotional we had today for the breaking of bread. And it talked about a treasure. A man finding a treasure in a field. He goes, sells all that he has in order to buy that field because there's a treasure in that field. Something that he thinks highly of. And we talked about, it speaks of the Lord Jesus coming and purchasing us, giving his all for us. Let me ask you about Jacob. Do you think Jacob would fit the description of a treasure? Yeah, we, we've spent now three weeks on Jacob, and this will be the uh, fourth and final week about Jacob. Yet when I showed Dave the final hymn, I, I closing hymn I wanted to sing at the end of this sermon, he said, what, this about Jacob? And yet God, as we have seen, has been working in Jacob's life. Which should be an encouragement to us to remind ourselves we're not looking at these biblical uh, characters just for an, a deeper historical understanding, but we believe that these are people just like us, as the scripture says. And we can learn about a lot about God and uh, about ourselves as we look at how God is dealing with these people. And we've seen God going a, a long distance with Jacob now. And finally, we will finish, and there will be a note of victory, praise the Lord. We'll see that God at the end does accomplish what he wants to accomplish in Jacob's life. And we can be encouraged, God will accomplish the same in ours as well. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 34. Sorry, I lied. Genesis chapter 33. We'll finish off that chapter first. Genesis chapter 33 and verse 17. And Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Sukkot. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. Well, as we've uh, talked about in the last few weeks, Jacob originally left the promised land, fleeing from his brother. He went to Padanaram, found a wife or four, and now came back at God's instructions and had to deal with a few more issues along the way. And last time we saw him finally arrive to the land. Actually, it's not till here, till he crossed the river, that he really properly got into the promised land, into Canaan. So we look at this passage and say, great, Jacob is finally obeying the Lord. I see, I see somebody at least nodding their head. Well, it's true, there's a problem here. First of all, uh, we see a problem that he stops at Sukkot and builds himself a house. All right? That's kind of a long-term stop along the journey. Uh, remember, his, 
the, the goal here that God had for him was to go back to Bethel and his father's house. So first you have this really long delay and him building a house. There's something else wrong about having a house. If you remember, we started uh, the passage reading this verse in the book of Hebrews, saying, by faith, this is actually talking about Abraham at first, but includes Jacob, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All right, it says here that an action of faith was dwelling in tents. Well, he's building a house. All right, we'll, we'll get back to this verse. Next thing we see, and you have to kind of know the geography of Israel to that. So he's heading more or less south. He stops at Sukkot. Then he kind of makes a U-turn, then turns kind of northwest and heads to Shechem. And Bethel is right there. He was pretty close. He was probably just a day or two journey from Bethlehem. But he turns around, he goes to Bethlehem, to, to uh, Shechem, and he buys a piece of property on which to dwell. And most likely, he lived there for a number of years. If you look at the ages of the children of Jacob, how old they were when he left uh, Padan Aram, how old they were when, when he arrives later on at, at uh, Bethel and at his father's house, you can tell a number of years now pass. And you've you got to ask yourself, what is Jacob doing here? Well, Jacob in Padan Aram has acquired a flock, and he's gone uh, most of the way to Bethel. He ends up giving probably a good portion of it to Esau, and now he turns back to Bethlehem, and he seems to be looking for a place that's more comfortable, building a house, buying a property, uh, finding a place that's really more green. Again, if you know the geography of Israel, Shechem is a much more attractive place. It's a lot greener. Perhaps would have a lot more fodder for his sheep. Well, what we're seeing here is we're really seeing where Jacob is. He's not where this verse is. This is the verse we read in the book of Hebrews again. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Living in that land as Pilgrims was a testimony on Abraham and Isaac and should have been Jacob's that they really were not there for what they saw in the land. They were there for what God was calling them. They knew that God has prepared a city for them. There was a future, a place with God, and that's what they wanted. And because of that, they were willing to leave aside the comforts of this world. Well, that's not what Jacob is right now. Jacob is still going after the comforts of this world while he builds a house and buys a property and goes to Shechem instead of Bethel. And it's something that I realize is a constant struggle in my life because I live in this world and I enjoy being comfortable. And there's always this urge to do things for myself to make myself comfortable. But as we do it, we lose our focus. Instead of living for our purpose, God saved us to be with him in heaven and we are to go through this world as pilgrims with our focus on the goal that God has for us. And as I start taking care of my myself, making myself more comfortable, I lose that focus. And that what is what was happening to Jacob. Here, He was losing his focus, or maybe he never even had it. And he's just taking care of himself instead of pursuing what God had for him and for his fathers. Get a drink of water here. Let's pick up in chapter 34. And I will skip a little bit. We have a lot of verses to cover today. So we're actually going to skip a little bit. 
You'll have to listen to me closely as I call out the next verse. So, chapter 34, verse 1. Now, Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Verse 13. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to, they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you. And we will take your daughters to us. And we will dwell with you. And we will become one people. Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. I'm sorry, I skipped to verse 25 though. Verse 25. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city, because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. My household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? Chapter 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me all the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods, which were in their hands, and the earrings, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the, the place Bethel Bethel, because their God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bachut. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he had came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, 
I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you. I give this land. Then God went up with him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Ben-Jamin. So Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. We'll stop there. We see here one of those occasions in the Bible that uh, we don't really like seeing. We see some uh, pretty ugly sin practiced by Jacob's family. The, the key word for that or the key sentence for that is, is what people often say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In this case, Jacob hasn't been an example for his children. He hasn't told them, taught them to do what was right. And his children just followed in his steps. They were doing the same thing that Jacob was. Without going too much into, into detail, we see uh, Dinah was pursuing her own thing. She wanted to go out to the world, get what the world had for her. And that led to, to a disaster. Uh, his uh, sons felt that it was their place to correct uh, people for what they have done to them. And they take a very brutal approach to it. And then the rest of his sons figure, well, might as well, you know, make some money out of the deal, and they uh, pillage the city and take all all the goods that were in that city. And you got to wonder why why is this here? Why is God allowing all this to happen? And I really see it in uh, the continuing passage here, as we look at what happens to Jacob next. God calls Jacob after this this uh, this. Uh, uh, situation happened, God calls Jacob and tells him to go to Bethel. And it's interesting how Jacob responds. For the first time, we see a consciousness of sin in Jacob's life. He actually recognized that he is a sinner and the way that he and his family have been living was outside the will of God. Because he talks to them and he says, take out the idols that are in your midst, the foreign gods, that you have been worshipping. Purify yourself and clean yourself because we're going to meet the God that has been with me throughout all my travels. So there's a consciousness of sin and that leads Jacob for the first time to truly turn to God. It's not always easy to tell when people are saved as we read those stories in the scriptures. This is the most likely place Jacob was saved. He finally realized that he was a sinner. I remember when I was uh, first seeking the Lord. I started coming to church. I was convinced that God was real. I was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that God sent to the Jews. And yet I was not saved. And the reason for it was, I didn't understand that I needed Jesus to save me. 
there might have been some sort of an intellectual knowledge that I was a sinner, but I didn't really feel that I was a sinner. And it wasn't until God brought me to know my sin, to know that I stood before God in trouble because of my sin, that finally I could understand why Jesus came. Jesus came to die for my sins. Instead of me being punished for them, Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. And that's why it's so important that we share the bad news with people first. And a lot of time, let God work in their lives to bring them to the point that they realize that they are sinners. And that's what God has now accomplished in Jacob's life throughout this terrible situation that we see of his children doing terrible things. It finally spoke to Jacob about where he is. I know as a father, and my wife will share it also as a mother, a lot of time we see our sin in our children. The character traits that we have and that we like the least about ourselves, we see them manifesting themselves in our children. And a lot of time that is how God can reach us too, is show us our sin through the lives of others, especially your children, if you have children. Well, the good news here is that this is exactly what God wanted Jacob to be. We see this in verse 10. It says, And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. It's interesting that this is not the first time this happens. If you remember, last week we saw Jacob struggling with the angel, being brought to the end of himself as the angel, the angel of the Lord. It's God himself take his, uh, his leg out of joint, and that's when he finally lays hold of God. Well, that was a physical experience. It wasn't a spiritual experience. Well, now we've reached the spiritual experience. Jacob has been brought to the end of himself spiritually. He realized that he is a sinner and that he needs God to save him. And so God, if you would, renames him Israel. He named him Israel once. He's now renaming him Israel. And we'll see that the name of Israel is going to come up once again. In a sense, it's not the last time that God will name Jacob Israel in the Scriptures. Let's uh, look at this, at this last incident here, which can also be bewildering to us, and that's the death of Rachel. Actually, first, there's the death of Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, and then we see the death of Rachel. And you think, well, if Jacob is now doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's finally leaving his sin behind, and is coming to God to be saved, why are these bad things happening to him? Why is it that all of a sudden he, he loses his mother's nursemaid and then he loses his most beloved wife, Rachel? Let me take you, if you would, to the book of Hebrews to find the answer to that question. The book of Hebrews and chapter 12. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, 
We have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me say this. Jacob was not suffering in spite of coming to the Lord. He was suffering because he has come to the Lord. Because of what this passage says about it. I have uh, two very beautiful daughters, and I love them very much. But my two very beautiful daughters are sinners. And uh, they do things that are not good for them. An example of that is this week when my family went down to LA, my daughter lost her temper, temper a couple of times. And that's one of the things we're working on my daughter with. She has quite a temper. And as a result, her grandmother at some point just wanted to have nothing to do with her. She just walked away. Um, which is convicting to us as parents. We want to train our daughter to behave well. So that she can have a, a relationship with people so that people can actually enjoy her and not want to stay away from, from her because she's so unpleasant to be with. Well, the same thing is true with our relationship with God. When we trusted in Christ, God did the wonderful thing of taking us from being in the family of Satan and putting us into his own family. We are now the children of God. That's what the Bible tells us. Well, God isn't just a father that says, well, I'm happy you're my child. That's great. You know, here's a credit card and, you know, don't get lost. He wants to make us like his son. He doesn't just want to place us in his family. He wants to change us, to be like him, to, if you would, to bear the family resemblance, to be not just people that have a relationship with God because he saved us, but people whom God wants to have a relationship with because they're wonderful. God says this, the Father says this about the Son. He says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know that God wants to say the same thing about you? He wants to look at you and be able to say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Now we know that by being saved and what Jesus did being uh, given to our account, we, we do have a relationship with God. God can look at us through his son. But God wants us to practically be like his son, to be people who do things that he is genuinely pleased with, people whose character he is genuinely pleased with. This is his goal for us. After bringing us into his family, he still wants to make us like his son in practice. And that is why he works on us. And he works on us in a similar way to the way I have to work with my daughter. And the method is that of pain. <laughs> that is, unfortunately, the way God a lot of time has to use our, get our attention and to get us to respond to what he wants to see in our lives. And that is why Jacob is now beginning to feel the hand of the Lord on his life. As soon as he's saved, God says, great, now I have a lot of work to do. Okay, And God does the same thing with us. When we're saved, God has a lot of work to do in our lives. He wants to make us like his son. That's a good thing, by the way. <laughs> All right, let's uh, turn back to the book of Genesis. 
And we will look at the greatest trial of Jacob's life. A lot of people will say, if I were to ask them, what is the rest of the book of Genesis about? What are the last 10 or 15 chapters of the book of Genesis about? And most people will say Joseph. And there's a truth to that. You know, most of the verses are about him. But really you see here a continuation of Jacob's life. Jacob is not out of the picture yet. Jacob is still very involved. In fact, the book of Genesis ends with Jacob's funeral. Okay, it really is still Jacob. It was, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that were the patriarch. To a large extent, Jacob still plays a dominant role or is still an important person for us to look at even as we look at the story of, Jacob, of Joseph. And that's what we want to do today. As we're looking at the story of Joseph, we want to see and look at how it's affecting Jacob. How is God using it in Jacob's life? Having said that, uh, you can turn, if you would, to chapter 37 and verse 10. Again, we're going to have to uh, skip a little bit here because we have another 15 chapters to cover and maybe 30 minutes in which to cover them with. So we'll just pick a few verses to look at. We'll start with verse 37, 10. Genesis 37, verse 10. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come down to the earth before you, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. If, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the story of Joseph, uh, you're in luck because when I'm done here in the next few weeks, we're going to start looking at the story, the story of Joseph. Uh, I'll try to fill up just a little bit of the gap. We don't have a lot of time to look at it. But one of the dreams that Joseph had was a dream where uh, he represented the star and the other stars and the sun and the moon all bowed down to him. And he shares that dream with his family. And clearly that dream is foretelling of the glory of Joseph that is to come. Joseph will become one of the greatest men on the face of the earth. And he will will be practically ruling over Egypt and providing for his family. And indeed, at some point, they will be coming down and bowing to him. All right. Well, his brothers are obviously very upset at this dream. And his father also at first saying, you know, what is this dream that you're dreaming? It doesn't sound like a proper thing for you to be dreaming about. But it's interesting, it says this, but his father kept the matter in mind. It reminds me of Mary. It says when she heard the things that were prophesied about Jesus when he was very young, it says that she kept the matter in mind. She was, she, she realized that God was telling her something, was telling something about her son that was true, that was going to come to pass. In the same way, I think Jacob here just started realizing maybe God is trying to tell us something through those dreams, things that are true. It's neat as we go into trials, God wants us to do well in the trials we go through. He wants us to hold on to him in faith even as we go through the pressure and difficulties of a trial. And he usually gives us something to hang on to. There's a lot of excellent verses in the scriptures like the one we already looked at about what to do when we're in trials, how, how we can realize that God is still in control and God still loves us even as we're suffering under some sort of trial. Well, this was a special something to Jacob. And it reminded me of the, perhaps the greatest trial that I've experienced in my life was when uh, the doctors called Sharon and me and told us that Eliana 
probably has Downs and hydrocephalus. And to us as young parents, uh, pregnant with our first child, that was devastating news. And uh, I remember that the night before we got the news, we were talking about trials and how different members of the chapel had to go through trials. And almost you know, wondering, I don't know if we quite said the words, well, you know, when is our turn? <laughs> What kind of a trial might we have to face? And, and to me, that kind of stuck a little bit. As we entered the trial of being told that our daughter was going to have Downs and hydrocephaly, there was a little bit extra there to hope that, well, you know, God is in control. This didn't just happen by chance. As hard as it was, we'll talk about it later, it was a little bit of encouragement. And I believe God was doing the same here, same thing here with Jacob. There was a little bit of an encouragement that Jacob could have maybe held on to as he was going through the trial of Joseph. Turning to chapter 37 and verse 31. So they, that is Joseph's brothers, took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent a tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The last thing I want, I want uh, to be communicating in this message is that trials are easy. Trials are not easy. It says here that Jacob wept. I remember weeping, I remember Sharon weeping when we got the news about our daughter having Downs and hypocephaly. Trials are hard. And uh, it could be that there's somebody here that's listening that's going through a hard trial right now. And I'm in no means trying to suggest that it's not a hard trial or that uh, you, know, you somehow shouldn't be feeling as hard as, or as... Uh, stretched as you probably are. That's what trials are meant to do. Trials are not designed to be easy. They are designed to bring us to the end of ourselves. So, trials are very difficult. Picking up in verse, chapter 42, verse 36. And Jacob the father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Uh, again, just a quick review of, of what's happening here with Joseph. Uh, as we saw in the previous passage, uh, Joseph's brother took him, stripped him of his clothes, sold him as a slave, sent him to Egypt, and then you know, told his father, you know, we found this robe, you know, do you recognize this your son? Well, they had to go to Egypt themselves because a famine came, and Egypt was a place with food. They go to Egypt, and there Joseph has now become the chief of the land. 
And Joseph, as God's walking through him to work in his brothers and in his father, is treating them harshly. Is is accusing them of being spies. He takes Simeon as a hostage, so to speak, sends them back to Israel or to to the father and says, you have to bring Benjamin down if you want me to release Simeon to you. And it's interesting here how Jacob is responding. He says this, all these things are against me. And it shows us where Jacob was. He was really struggling in his faith in God's goodness at this point. And uh, again, I have to sympathize. I remember when we found out about uh, Eliana, we brought it to the saints, we shared it in a prayer meeting, uh, asked people to, to pray for us. We asked to pray that Eliana would be fine. And uh, I remember a brother coming to me and saying, you know, isn't it good to know that God works all things for good? And I was just ready to slap the guy. <laughs> because I wasn't there spiritually, so to speak. I wasn't, you know, my faith at that moment was very weak. I couldn't see how God was going to work it for our good. I, I could think of every reason against having a daughter with Downs, against what appeared to me was happening to us. And so, the same way it was here for, for Jacob. Jacob couldn't see how God was working good out of it. For him, it was disaster. Rachel dies. Disaster. Joseph dies. Disaster. Simeon is taken. And they want to take Benjamin from him. And it's interesting that Jacob in some way is hurting himself here by not allowing Benjamin to go. Because Benjamin becomes the key to the whole problem. When, when, when Jacob is finally willing to let Benjamin go, release Benjamin, Benjamin will go down to Egypt, will find out that Joseph is still alive, they'll come back with the great news that will end the trial of Jacob. But it's like Jacob is holding on to Benjamin. He lost Rachel, who was his dearest wife. He lost Joseph, that might have now become his chief love, so to speak, because Rachel died. And now he transferred that to Benjamin because Joseph died. And it's like God is trying to pry his hands open and, and give up Benjamin too, show that kind of faith or trust in God or let God have the first place in his life before the trial will end. It reminds me of a, a different trial I had to go through. When Sharon and I were dating, we went to a wedding. It was a wedding of a couple here from the chapel. And it was so clear that God brought those two people together that both me and Sharon started being convicted. We couldn't see in our lives what we saw in the lives of these people that God just brought together. And I was wondering, is it possible that God doesn't want us to be together? And that was a hard thought. And I remember calling Rick that night and saying, Rick, you know, we went to the wedding and, you know, this is what I'm feeling and I, I don't know. What should I do? And Rick said this to me. He said, God is a jealous God. He wants to have the first place in your heart and he's not willing for anything else to be there in his place. And it was as if God was doing that because Shannon and I were kind of dating before I came to the Lord. And it needs to be clear, needed to be clear that God is the first thing in my life and not her. And so I had to let her go. We had to, to end our relationship. God brought us back together a couple of years later, but as far as we were concerned, the relationship was over. We had no expectation. I had to give that up. In the same way, it appears here that Jacob had to give up Benjamin in order for this trial to also be over. And it could be in your life, it could be in the trial that you're struggling in, that one of the reasons it's being prolonged, there might be a Benjamin 
might be something that God is trying to get you to give up. Something in, maybe in your life that's standing between you and Him. And maybe that's what He wants to reach. And maybe as you're going to give that to Him, that the trial will also come to an end. Chapter 45, verse 26. Chapter 45, verse 26. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph has said to them, and when he saw the cart which Joseph has sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go down and see him before I die. Well, this is the end of, of this trial in Jacob's life. There's a couple of things that stand up, stand up uh, out to me here. One is the word believe. It said Jacob did not believe, and we might, you know, say, boy, you know, ye of little faith. Didn't you see this coming all along? Well, he did it. Okay, he saw the bloodied clothes of his son. He hasn't seen his son for 13 years, if I, if I guess the time correctly. And so he's, he thinks his son is dead. All of a sudden, someone is telling him, your son is alive. And before we give Jacob a hard time, we have to look at the disciples. Well, Jesus died, more or less in front of their eyes, then he rose from the dead. They were told the same news. They didn't believe. They had to see the Lord, and even then they had a hard time believing that the Lord rose from the dead. It was a decision of faith to believe that he rose from the dead. In the same way, Jacob needed to believe that Joseph was still alive. And that brings us to the second thing I notice here, and that is that Jacob's name finally changes to Israel. Look again in verse 26. It says, Then they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. Then verse 28. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. Right then and there was when the impact of the trial that Jacob has been through made it through to him and changed him. It's, it's, you know, seems small there, but we'll see immediately that Jacob has changed. He has really now become a man of faith. God has brought him through the trial. The trial had its desired effect upon Jacob. And now Jacob comes out of the trial as Israel, the man that God wanted him to be. Let's look at chapter 46, verse 1. 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am the God. I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. So now Jacob is living there where he's been living for the last few years, which was in the promised land of uh, Israel or Canaan at the time. 
and he's now beginning to come to Egypt, which is what his son asked him to do. Joseph sends to him and he says, you know, I'm still alive. I'm governor of all of Egypt. The famine is going to last another five years. You come down and I will provide for you and the family. So Jacob comes. Well, Jacob stops at Beersheba, which is pretty close to the border between where Israel is ends and where uh, Egypt starts. And he stops and he offers sacrifices to God. Why is he doing it? Well, we see from God's response to Jacob. It says, God appears to him and he says to him, do not fear to go down to Egypt. Jacob is now realizing, well, I want to go to Egypt. My son is there. I want to see my son. Not to mention, I need to be provided for and my son can provide for me in Egypt. But I'm not taking a step until I know that God is coming with me. He realizes that being in the center of God's will, being with God was more important than being with his beloved son and being provided for, for his physical need. Being with God was more important to Jacob now. Quite a transformation from where we saw Jacob before. Remember where he was? See where he is now. Now he wants God in his life principally above uh, you know, human affections and being provided for his own needs. We'll finish with chapter 47 and verses starting at verse 29. Again, I will skip a little bit, so you'll have to listen to me as I call out verses, which hopefully I'll remember to call out. Chapter 47, verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Chapter 48, verse 3. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life along to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lad. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying. I think I skipped it. Verse 21. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. All right. We have finally reached to the verses that God, that speak of Jacob's faith in the book of Hebrews. As you remember, we looked at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, 
at various points because it's called the chapter of faith. It, it testifies of the faith of different Old Testament saints. What does that chapter say about Jacob? It says this. I'll read it for you. Hebrews 11.21 By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. This was Jacob's great act of faith. Well, what was it? What was the faith? Well, if you look closely at what he's doing, he is blessing Joseph by upgrading Joseph's two eldest sons, which would be technically Jacob's grandsons, into the status of sons. And so, when the land will get divided, because that's why Jacob reminds Joseph of, the, of this promise. God promised me that he will multiply me into a great nation and he'll give them the land of Israel. That was the promise that the patriarchs had. It was the promised land. And Jacob realizes, well, it's going to get divided up. Well, Joseph, you're going to get more than anyone else because I'm going to take your two sons, I'm going to say that they're my sons, and so when the land gets divided, you'll get twice as much as your brethren. All right? That's what he's doing here. Well, you know, you might wonder, okay, well, you know, is that really a good thing, you know, showing favoritism again to his son? Well, the point is, it's an action of faith because Jacob had possessions. He had great possessions. He had a lot of sheep and oxen and, and who knows what else. And he could have, in theory, taken the greater portion of that and given it to Jacob, to Joseph. But Jacob said, no, I want to give Joseph the very best thing I have to give. And the very best thing I have to give is this future promise that God has given me, which Jacob now sees with his, the eyes of faith, and he knows it's going to be true. He can see the land and imagine how it's going to get divided, and he gives that to Joseph. And that is faith, because they didn't have the land. The land was full and occupied by other people. He was dwelling in Egypt. There would be, in, in, from a human perspective, no reason why they should ever leave Egypt. And yet, in Jacob's eyes are the promise of God. In Jacob's eyes. And so he says, this is the best stuff, what God has promised. That's truly what has value. And that's what I'm going to give to my son. Now, that's, that's convicting to me sometime as a parent. A lot of time, uh, in this world, we, we think about our children. And we're thinking, well, you know, what, what do we give our children? And a lot of people say, well, you know, I really want to give my kids a good college education. I have a friend, and he wants to give each of his kids a house paid off. He's not a believer, but you know there might be believers with the same goal, saying, well, you know, I'll buy houses, I'll pay them off. When my, my children graduate from college, each of them will have a house of their own. Well, I mean, that is something that's good. You know, I would like a house. You know, certainly the... But as believers, we should be thinking of what is that thing that has the highest value? which shows really where our faith is. Do I believe that the best thing out there is a house? Well, I'll work very hard for a house and maybe leave that to my children. Or is the best thing out there spending eternity with God in heaven and, and enjoying Him and having lived a life here of truly serving God, walking in fellowship with Him? That's what I want for my children. And that's what Jacob wanted for his children, for Joseph, the son that he loved. He wanted for him the very best that God had to give. All right, we've come to the end of Jacob. He has started out as Jacob. He has ended up 
as Israel. And I was thinking it's good to stop and think about ourselves. And do we think about the work that God is doing in our lives and the future that we're going to have? And if you would, let's turn to the book of 1 John. Just read a couple of verses. 1 John and chapter 3. All the way at the end. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It's something that I confess I forget a lot. That God has made me his child. And yet, that is the wonder of God's grace. He took us, if you would, as Jacob, sinners, and he has placed us in his own family to be children of God. Behold what manner of love that we should be called the sons of God. We're not just called the sons of God. We are made the sons of God. And God will not just give us the status of sons. We will live with God as children, enjoying him as he wants us to enjoy him. And that gives me a perspective as I see God's working in my life through trials. Can you blame God for not being willing to wait till I get to heaven before he starts changing me and to make me more like his son? And that is why we have the exhortation. Anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let us not just be sons of God, which we are. Let us also live as sons of God. Let us not live as Jacob's. Let us live as Israel's. The people whom God has brought to the end of themselves and now have grafted unto God in faith and want to live with God and be with God and do the things that please God. So the Father can look down at us and say, this is my well-beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great, great love for us. Behold what manner of love that we should be called the sons of God. Lord, we confess we don't see how you found us to be a treasure that you were willing to sell all that you had to obtain. But we recognize it is true and we pray for us, Lord, that we will remember who we are in your sight and we'll start living now, not wait for eternity, to be living as your sons and be uh, well-pleasing sons that you can look down at and really rejoice in as we live in fellowship with you. In Jesus' name.